Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What are we talking about here? He had 50 quarterback pressures to Garrett's 37. 19 sacks to 14. That's not a small difference. It's five last I checked, Sean. More sacks, more pressures, more quarterback hits, more tackles for loss, more fumble recoveries, more interceptions. He had one to none. More pass deflections, eight to three. He had a touchdown. Like, what are we talking about here? I love Peter King. I love the fact he comes on with us every week. I respect his opinions. He chose Miles Garrett because of the deep analytic stuff. Like, like here's the pass one. Pass win rate. Is that the pass big rush stat? win rate? And I read that today as meaning you beat your blocker, but it doesn't result in a pressure or a sack. Then what the hell does it mean? How do you, how do you judge it? How do you judge it? I beat my guy, but I didn't make any kind of play. Maybe I allowed other guys to make plays. And then I see Mike Micah Parsons way in. Somebody ripped choosing uh, Garrett over TJ, and Micah defended the voters. Horrible take. Miles was the better player. Really? Show me how and where. Reality of the situation. Miles faced way more double teams. Did he now? That may be a stat. I want to see that stat. An effect on QBs. Fans, please stop looking at stats and look at the film, please. Invite people in then. Invite people in and let's watch every single pass rush and see who had more of an effect on games. The guy with 69 combined pressures and sacks or the guy with 51 combined pressure and sacks. And TJ had more quarterback hits. Pass rush win rate. Listen, if you want to dive past sacks and go to analytics, I'm good. Pressure, a pressure can be more influential and have a better result than a sack. A pressure can cause an interception. I get that one. That's obvious. Quarterback hit. TJ leads him in both categories, plus sacks. And you mentioned the strong finish. And I know for MVP, that is such a huge factor is what you do down the stretch of the season. Yes. So I don't know why they don't value that with the other awards. You have to, if you have to drill all the way down to pass rush win rate, you're not doing your job. So shame on these voters, really. And by the way, I would have taken, if, if Micah Parsons won this award, don't have nearly as much of a problem with it. Because I watch him play. He's a little bit more versatile because obviously he, in one sense, he can play the linebacker position when he's not rushing the quarterback. So I agree. He his, can for sure. Although TJ had four more tackles than Micah. Yeah. And I think here's he had more the, okay. passes defensed. Here's the stat I want to see then. And I tried to get Sam Munson and Steve Palazzolo from pro football focus. Last I checked in my email, they were both giving me the Belfont snorkel. What's the stat on double teams and triple teams? Maybe you can convince me then. But you and I watch every game. 
You're telling me TJ doesn't get double and sometimes triple teamed frequently? And a lot of people would argue that he gets held as much or more than anyone else in the that league as well. That one, too. Let's go with drawn holding calls. And if you want to watch the film, you really want to watch it. Pro Football Focus really wants to dig down. Let's have obvious missed holding calls against. And I bet you they both have a ton, but I would love to see that stat. Why not? If you're going to have a stat called called pass rush win rate, which to me no matter how you define it, would be extremely vague. Like, oh, he won that rep. Did he? Okay, how? What's your definition? Then let's go with obvious hell holds missed. That would be an easier one for me, right? And the other thing is about, you know, winning a, a, a snap, for instance. Maybe Garrett won more snaps against his opponent than Watt did, but if he just, you know, doesn't finish the play, but Watt finishes more with sacks or tackles for loss, I think that counts more than a higher percentage of winning snaps. How do you win a snap if you don't make anything happen on the play? I... Right. That's the, the end result, I think, needs to be more important, even if you win fewer overall snaps. What you're doing with those wins is what really matters. Well, it seems to me, it seems to me that there was... A, a Cleveland bias in these awards? I think the narrative was kind of set, what, at the midway point of the season, if not earlier. It must have been. This was Garrett's award to win. And no, I no, think no. I'm talking about Garrett. I'm Stefanski. talking about Jim Schwartz. as the Who won the coach of the year? Stefanski did, didn't he? Yeah, he just edged out D'Amico Ryans. And he then they did? also had Flacco as the comeback player. And that, I mean, I'm sorry. I love Joe Flacco. Amazing story. DeMar Hamlin basically passed away on the football field and was revived and came back and played in the NFL. Not only is he the comeback player of the year this year, he's the comeback player of all time. If they gave out an all-time comeback player of the year award. So Flacco gets that. You're telling me Stefanski got coach of the year over a guy who took a team that was expected to be one of the worst in the NFL and made them a division winner and a playoff well, you don't include the playoffs. I get it. But just a 10-game division winner. And then Jim Schwartz as the assistant coach of the year, all based on yardage. They were the most overrated defense I've ever seen in my life. They finished 32nd and last in red zone defense. I'm seven minutes over time here. I apologize, Sean. We have to get to Ray Fittipaldo next. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Joe Show. I didn't know they had done that. I'm not ready for that yet. I'm still mourning, Ron. It's the day after. You were supposed to play Everybody Loves Raymond. But it's okay. That's a good point. I was also, Ron's always here to remind me of that previously. I know. I was also remiss, and my first awards uh, take was a rant against the T.J. Watt thing. It should have been congratulating Cam Hayward for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. 
That is a big deal. And he is well-deserving. We're going to play a little bit of his speech, I believe, or an interview that he did. And I was talking earlier with Tyler Kennedy about Marc-Andre Fleury. And I don't really know all these guys, even, even if I've interacted with them a bunch, right? But it had always been my sense with Fleury that here is a genuinely decent and good human being. And I've always had that same sense about Cam. And that's a huge award to win. So congratulations to Cam Hayward for all the great work that he does with people uh, off the field. His foundation, just a gigantic deal. He's been knocking on that door for a few years, and now he won it. But I'm not going to stop with my Cleveland Browns defense rant and Jim Schwartz before we get to Ray. Are you kidding me here? Because yards? That's why? Here was the Browns down the stretch. They allowed 31 to Baltimore, 29 to Denver in a 29-12 loss, 36 to the Rams, 27 to Jacksonville, 17 to an inept Chicago offense, 22 to Houston. The Jets don't even count, and they still allowed 20, and then 31 in the last game. They finished, God bless me, last in the NFL in red zone defense and not even in the top 10 in scoring defense. Great job, Jim. Boy, you really rejuvenated that defense. Get the hell out of here with this. Let's go to the Nemec Colt. No, not uh, the S- Sullivan Super Service fan hotline. Everybody loves Ray. There we go. For Ray Fittipaldo. Ray, thank you for waiting so long. It's been a very emotional day, minus Ron. It's like the day after a wedding when all the emotions come crashing in. How are you? I'm doing good. Hopefully you have some leftover cookies from, from that wedding, but... Uh... I have to say, I'm honored to be on the very first Joe show. So, <laughs> you're the you're the first media guest on the Joe show. <laughs> I don't know how long it's going to stay the Joe show, but it is, I guess, for now. What do you make of this, Ray? Let, let's start with these awards. Let Let's start with Jim Schwartz because this one really ticks me off for some reason. Usually, I don't care. Like the coordinator of the year, who cares? And I get that they didn't allow a lot of yards, but I've always disagreed that yards should be the top measurement anyway. Last in the NFL in red zone defense, gashed down the stretch multiple times, and they weren't in the top 10 in scoring defense? That's your coordinator of the year? Yeah, I I think, Joe, they got a ton of publicity in the first half of the season when they were on pace, I think, to like set NFL records with yardage given up maybe even points. I think they were halfway decent with points in the first half of the season, but you're right. You know, down the stretch, they fell apart. Houston did whatever they wanted to to do to them in the playoffs. And I know that's voted on previously, but they were not an elite defense by the end of the season. So, um, you know, for both Miles Garrett and for Jim Schwartz, um, you know, I don't know who else was up for assistant coach of the year. You know, Ben Johnson probably would have been a better choice in my mind. How about Mike um, McDonald? The Ravens allowed 16 points a game and led the NFL. Yeah, yeah or or what you're saying. How about Yeah. How about um Yeah, Ben Johnson, 27 points. What are they doing, Ray? Anyway, <laughs> what about TJ Watt? Your thoughts. You know, um I heard you in, in the last segment and um you know, the the Associated Press is a news organization and I saw the list this morning, as I'm sure you have, pro football focused, um, 
has a vote. Sam Monson, who is based in Ireland, has a vote in these awards. And there's no one from the Pittsburgh market, and there's no one from other football markets with an NFL franchise in that city. And my point is, you know, you should have people who cover the team who are news people. Um, doesn't have to be a newspaper reporter. could be a television reporter or a radio reporter who votes on this stuff. Pro Football Focus is not a news organization. They have contracts with, I think, more than half the NFL teams. I think they have consulting gigs with a number of teams as well. So they're, I mean, they're in bed with the NFL. You can't tell me that there's not some kind of inherent bias when you're getting paid, you know, to, to work for teams that you, that may not seep into your work. So I'm, I'm sure they would deny that, but, you know, for the Associated Press to, to have, to give a vote to someone who's not even part of a news organization or covers the team on a day-to-day basis, that just doesn't sit, sit right with me. What about having Brady and Brewski? I mean, Brady just finished yeah. his career. Uh, if I was going to have ex-players, it would be guys who are emotionally removed from the game. I'm not right. even talking Patriot bias. He seemed to have a falling out with Belichick at the end. What if Belichick was up for coach of the year right now? Why is Brady on this well, list? Well, Why does he vote? if I'm wrong. Well, Brady is under contract with Fox, but he just doesn't do any work yet for Fox. So he doesn't even – I suppose he works for a media organization, but – he wasn't analyzing anything this year. I, I don't know what Tom Brady does in his free time when he's taking this year off, but I doubt he's watching more games than I am or than 95% of the people who cover this league do. Um, you know, I'm sure he keeps up with things, but he's not watching the Cleveland Browns um, as much as, you know, people who cover the league or the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on that. Um and, uh, you know, it, it's good that they spread it around to websites and, you know, you have TV reporters and, you know, I saw people for Sirius XM. That, that's fine. You know, spread it around. But I think inherently all those people should work for a news organization in some capacity and not, you know, have any ties to the NFL. That's just that's my opinion. OK, so we have T.J. Watt leading Miles Garrett in virtually every significant conventional statistical category, including by five sacks, which is a lot. And also by the surface analytical uh, stats like pressures. And I'm, I'm all I think that's a very legit stat. You have to drill all the way down to things like pass rush win rate to come up with Miles Garrett. I think it was a lifetime yeah. achievement award. I think voters um thought to themselves, we can't have this guy go his whole career without winning one of these things. This might as well be the year. I don't think he's a deserving winner. No, and uh, is there Watt fatigue? I mean, J.J. won three, T.J. won one. You could argue T.J. deserved another and not another. So, I mean, T.J. could legitimately have three um, DPOYs, you know? And um, maybe that's part of it, too. You see that with the Hall of Fame. There's undoubtedly Steelers fatigue. People just get tired of seeing the same names or the same uniforms, um, you know, be honored. So I I definitely think that's part of it, but it is interesting. I heard Peter King on your show. What was it, Joe? Two weeks ago, maybe just talking about analytics and how he looks at analytics more than he used to. So that's, you know, that's seeped into, um, you know, people's minds. And I, you know, I, I think I just, all I have to do is watch football to understand it. I don't need to look at pro football focus to realize that 
T.J. Watt is a better football player than Miles Garrett, but there are these metrics out there that you know people point to, and obviously Peter was influenced by it, so I'm sure others who have votes are influenced by that as well. It seems to me that the, that the differentiating stat here was pass rush win rate. So if I'm sitting down here, I would first have to know what a guy's given assignment was. And I would, for, for example, uh, you have certain stunts, things like that along the defensive line where your job may be to tie up a blocker or to knock a blocker out of position to create a lane for somebody else. Right. I would have to know what your assignment was how you executed it, and how exactly do I define a pass rush win if it doesn't result in a pressure, a sack, a quarterback hit, or anything else? How is that a win? Especially in today's day and age when quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball faster than they ever have. You know, three-step drops, boom, the ball's out. Does it matter that you're, you're winning your block if you're not getting a pressure? Um, on that guy. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a ton of, um, uh, like a ton of doubt in my mind what, what even pass rush win rate means. I don't even know what it means, Joe, and I, I cover the sport. I mean, I have an idea of what it means, but it doesn't mean anything to me, uh, I, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. So, um, you know, Miles Garrett doesn't drop into coverage and intercept passes um, against the Rams and turn that game totally in the other direction. Miles Garrett doesn't do that. He, he's not a complete football player in that regard. And T.J. Watt does everything, you know. Um, you know, the only criticism you sometimes hear about T.J. Watt is, you know, his run defense and maybe him getting upfield. And, uh, but he, even with that, Joe, he's still one of the better run defenders among rush, rush, edge rushers in the NFL. I mean, he, he's the most complete football player, defensive football player, in the NFL. So I, I'm stumped why this continues to happen. You might be onto something with the lifetime achievement thing, but you know, the analytics aspect of it, it just, it just, it doesn't register with me. I'm just, I just go by the eye test and uh, you know, that's all that I care about. Here, here's another one uh, in this pass rush win rate BS is passes defense deflections. Basically, if you're a lineman, TJ had more than twice as many eight to three. So, yep. so if I'm looking at a snap, and a guy, he may, quote, lose the rep, but he may give up on the rep and just say to himself, I'm going to try to jump up and tip the ball. So if I'm at pro yeah. football focus, by the way, I have two me- emails out that they haven't returned yet today. Uh, if I'm at pro football focus, is that a, is that a loss? Is that a pass rush yeah. win loss? If I don't I mean, beat a guy, but I jump up and deflect it? To me, that's a pretty big play. I mean, Joe, that's that's not losing the rep. That's understanding the way football is played today. Right. Understanding how quarterbacks, how quickly quarterbacks are getting the ball out, and that's being smart and that's being aware. Um, you know, T.J. Watt is aware of all that stuff. Every opponent, um, he watches so much film. I mean, he's just he's a studious in that regard, and he knows tendencies for every team, um, every player on every team, linemen quarterback running backs included so um yeah i mean i know you didn't mean it that way but when you say losing a rep that's to me that's winning a rep if you get your arms up no that's exactly yeah that's exactly how i meant it i'm wondering if if in their eyes they're watching that rep and saying uh he lost that one and then he just jumped up and deflected the pass that's a lost pass rush that's a pass rush loss you know what i mean that's just 
TJ actually intercepted a pass doing that once. I think it was against the Ravens. Yeah, and PFF probably gave him a pass rush win-loss on that one. Loss on that play. It's just the whole thing is ridiculous. Not advanced stats. I respect the fact that PFF tries to quantify what has previously nobody's even attempted. So quarterback pressures, that's a great one. Those are sometimes more influential than sacks. Quarterback hits, things like that. I'd love to know, and I was telling uh, Sean, don't call me Seth Myers. give me a stat on how often a guy is double or triple teamed because that's what Micah Parsons said, why Garrett deserves this award. But I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that number. Don't tell me about pass rush win reps. Get the hell out of here with that. Anyway, right. Uh, how about Cam Hayward winning the Walter Payton man yeah. here? That was awesome. And anyone more deserving? I mean, I you know, Cam could have won that award the first time he was nominated. Um, I know I've written about Cam and what he does in the community a lot. I know others, um, you know, in this town have done that as well. So I think it was a long time coming. And, um, you know, we all know Cam probably has a year, um, you know, maybe two left. Um, so I, I think it was it, it was justice that he was recognized last night. Um, his mom does a lot for this community. Um, his grandmother, the whole family has, has been here for such a long time. Um, that, uh, yeah, I, I think it was great that, uh, at age 35, that, uh, he finally, um, he finally got it done. All right, Ray, very quickly here, your thoughts on the new, uh, wide receiver coach. And I guess what is the other sort of job position titled here? Uh, quarter, is it quarterback's, quarterbacks coach? coach? Yeah. So what I thought so, Sully was coming back. Where does he fit in all this? Well, Sully, I think they're, they're still in talks. I, I think the Steelers want to retain Mike Sullivan, but it won't be for his previous role. And I, I think when you look at it, I think that makes sense. When when you want to get more out of Kenny Pickett, I think maybe you say let's let's just give him a different voice. Let's see if something else um, you know registers with Kenny, and maybe maybe you get a little bit more out of him. So maybe Tom Arth can can get through to Kenny, and maybe that would be a good um, a good marriage there. But you know, Mike Sullivan is well respected in the NFL, and certainly within within that building. So I, I think. They would like to find a role for him, um, you know, if they can. And, you know, the receivers coach seems like a good hire. Um, he's been in the NFL for a while. Um, to me, that's the wild card of, of this whole scenario. Can a receivers coach, whoever it is, come in and get more out of George Pickens? Um, can you make those guys better team players? I, I don't know that that, that could happen. I, I think every NFL team struggles with that, but I, I think it was clear after two years with Frisman Jackson that uh, that wasn't happening. So I think obviously they had to move on here and hopefully, um, you know, Zach does a better job in that regard. All right, Ray, to free association, if you would. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm getting the feeling that Mason Rudolph's not coming back here, that the Steelers don't want him badly enough. You? Uh, I think it's trending in that direction, yes. Who's going to be their other quarterback? I wouldn't mind seeing Ryan Tannehill. Oh, my God. Explain that one, because I would very much mind seeing him. Well, I I just think even though he's older, he knows Arthur Smith's offense. He's coming here as a backup, not as a starter. Um, uh, And I I just think he could be a mentor to Kenny, and he can impart how Arthur Smith wants to do things. And I, I think that's important when you're making a transition to a new OC and a new playbook. You bullish on Russell Wilson, yes or no? No. Are you bullish on 
a big play for Kirk Cousins? Yes or no? No, too expensive. Are you bullish on a trade for Justin Fields? Uh, no, I, I just don't think it makes sense. We had some pass rushers and a wide receiver get into the Hall of Fame. Does that create a little room for James Harrison and or Heinz Ward? And which one makes it, if either? Well, I mean, Heinz only has a couple of cracks left. So I, I hope it's Heinz, but there's such a log jam at receiver. So if I had to pick between those two, I would pick Harrison. Thank you, Ray. All right, Joe. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you. Take care, man. That is Ray Fittipaldo. Read his stuff at postgazette.com. Fan Twitter brought to you by South Hills Kia, Peters Township. Visit him at southhillskia.net. Text line brought to you by Edgar Snyder and Associates, personal injury law firm, where they always say, there's never a fee unless we get money for you. And it's 1129. Time to stop blindly paying those increasing insurance, uh, auto and home insurance premiums. Contact the Buell Insurance Agency in Gibsonia. See what they can do for you. And I think we're going to hear a very familiar voice here, Seth, aren't we? And coming up, Gary Myers. He's written a number of books on the NFL. He's a voter for some of these awards, Hall of Fame, I believe. Let's ask him some questions about this whole process. That's next. Yes, Joe, I want to talk about Mr. Rooter Plumbing. I'm running out of time to do that, but my enthusiasm for Mr. Rooter Plumber has not dimmed. It is Pittsburgh's best plumbing company. I've known Bob Bill for a long time, and I've watched him build a plumbing company empire. Going on 21 years in this market, uh, which is an amazing run in any market doing anything, and the reason Mr. Rooter Plumbing has lasted so long is because it's great at what it does. Write the number down so you have it. I don't care if you have a broken water heater, maybe a backed-up sewer. You call 412-ROOTER-2, 412-ROOTER-2. The website's really good, too. Check it out, MrRooterPittsburgh.com. As I said, uh, going on 21 years in this market, 50-plus trucks out on the road every day. I see them coming into work, going home from work. I'm sure I'll see one this afternoon. I can't recommend them enough. The number one more time, 412-ROOTER-2. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Pittsburgh's number one full-service plumbing company, Mr. Rooter Plumbing. In one of Ron's final acts of kindness toward the show, he secured my next guest here, and that is noted NFL author, columnist, Hall of Fame voter, Gary Myers. He is on the Sullivan Super Service fan hotline pittsburgh's trusted plumbing and hvac provider for over 50 years gary i apologize for the delay things have been a little crazy here this week uh ron when he left when he left this studio yesterday at 2 p.m and i'm not kidding here people were lined up and down the hallway salespeople, his bosses other radio hosts and they clapped for him like it was oh. Richard Gere and Julia Roberts at the end of an officer and a gentleman. The whole place <laughs> clapped Ron out the door. and There wasn't a dry eye in the house. Well, he deserves it. I, I mean, Cookie's the best. I, I've known him back since the early 80s when he was covering the Pittsburgh Maulers and their quarterback was Glenn Carano. I was working in <laughs> Dallas, and Carano had been the third-string quarterback with the Cowboys, so I went to Melbourne, Florida for – Pittsburgh Moore's train camp do a story on Carano and that's where I met Ron and, and we've been friends ever since. Um, what a tremendous career. <clears throat> I, I know that uh, you, you'd lined up a bunch of 
Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh sports luminaries to wish him well. And uh, that's just great. I mean, he deserves it. I imagine you're pretty lonely right now, but you get to talk more. So exactly. Yes. I guess there is a little <laughs> bit of a trade, off but, but I will tell you that all of those people, everybody from Joe Namath to Ben Roethlisberger, to Jerome Bettis, to Terry Francona, to John Calipari, couldn't say yes fast enough when they were told by myself or others who lined them up as guests uh, that what the occasion was. They couldn't say yes fast enough. Joe, you know, I, when, I, when I talked to Ron the other day, and I hope he's listening, um, he, he was telling me about, you know, Bettis was coming on. I said, Bettis is great. He was always really good to me. And so Ron started recounting the story he did when he spent the week with Bettis at that Super Bowl in Detroit. Yes. And I, I remember I was getting daily updates from Cookie about, you know, you can't believe what Bettis did. You know, he let me do this and he let me do that. And this is going to be an unbelievable story. And all these years later, when I was talking to him the other day, he goes, that might have been the favorite story I've ever done. I had incredible access. And I, I said, you did a million great stories. You know, he, he was just – he was – a true multimedia star. He, he was a great writer, great columnist, and and hearing you guys over the years, the times I've been on, um, he was tremendous on the radio. And uh, I know the Pittsburgh fans are going to miss him because he was an honest, objective voice, and that's all you can ask for. Very well said. Let's talk about some current topics, Gary. Let's talk first about yeah. your book. Ron and I both uh, peppered you with questions about the book that you wrote called Once a Giant. And they're a fascinating franchise from the period of time you wrote about back in the Bill Parcells, Lawrence Taylor, Phil Simms era. Um, let's talk about Lawrence Taylor. How did you chronicle him in the book? And what sort of springs to mind when that magical name? I think most people probably regard him as the greatest defensive player ever. Oh, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it's him or you know Reggie White, and I, I just think Lawrence was just a little bit better uh, on a different level because the way he played the game, I really think you hear so much about, oh, a guy changed the game, and, you know, how did he change the game, you know? But Lawrence really changed the game because he was 6'3", 245, and, and can run down running backs and, and wide receivers uh, and, and definitely quarterbacks. I mean, he was just amazing, and he was what is now called, you know, uh, the pass rush specialist and, a, you know, rush defensive end, although he played outside in the 3-4 defense. Um, he really was the start of a new generation of, um, of defensive players. But, you know, I think it would be interesting to hear your perspective on this, Joe, you know, what the perception of Lawrence is now. Do people remember him for what an incredible player he was? Or do they say, well, he was an incredible player, but what a, what a screw-up off the field with the cocaine and, and and getting suspended. And even after his career was over, he didn't get himself straightened out with drugs for about another six or seven years and and then still had other problems after that with, with alcohol and with women. But um, when I met with him in April of 22, it was the healthiest and happiest he'd seemed to me since he retired after the 93 season. Um, and, I, you know, I was talking to him about, hey, Lawrence, as great as you were, um, I think there was another level there. If you lived your life like, like Phil Sims, you know, had a wife and a young family and went home after work. 
And he didn't disagree with that, but he said he had no regrets. Hmm. How can people get the book, Gary? Yeah, it's it's available on Amazon or you know Barnes and Noble, any place you get your books. And Joel, if I can just mention, and I think this is really important. Yeah. Um, th- this really addresses a crucial topic of life after football, and I know there's been so many Steelers from that generation and earlier. You know, have had a lot of problems, Mike Webster, etc. Um, and although the book is about the '86 Giants, it, it really could be about any team f- from that generation. Because the problems that the giant players are having are not necessarily, they're not unique. You know, the challenges of life after football, both financially and mental health issues and physically, all players around the league from that generation are suffering from that. So even if you're not a giant fan or even if you're not a football fan, there's so many human interest stories in here. And it's filled with heartbreaking stories and a lot of heartwarming stories as well. So um, it's easy for me to say, but I highly recommend it. I read the piece or the part of it about Mark Bavaro too, who incidentally, where did I see Peter King had his 40 year, you know, all pro team, all time yeah. team from the, from the time that Peter started covering the game in the early eighties. He has Mark Bavaro as his starting tight end. I believe on that team. I put Mark Bavaro. I made a team last year of all non hall of famers, at least at that time. Um, some guys have since gotten in he was a great player. Belichick said he he handled Reggie White as good as any tackle in the league. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the reason Mark's not in the Hall of Fame is because his career wasn't long enough. Um, it, it, uh, let's just say this. He, he played at an all-pro level whenever he was healthy. It was just the latter portion of his career, he had severe knee problems. Mm. And so he had like four or five really great seasons. And then after that, you know, it, it just wasn't the same. He went from the Giants to the Browns to the Eagles, kind of bounced around a little bit. And it was never really the same player. But he was just so incredibly tough. And, and the chapter that I wrote about him has a lot of really funny stuff. Just real quickly, he repeats training camp. Night off, he goes out and gets drunk, comes back the next day for practice, is feeling queasy, and he's walking off the practice field, and he has to walk by Parcells, who's asking what's going on with him. And before Mark can say anything, he threw up all of Parcells' shoes. Which is <laughs> That's never good with the boss. impression as a rookie. But the heartbreaking stuff is he really, really suffered for about eight months with long-term COVID to the point that he had suicidal thoughts. And the chapter on Bavaro, it's going to make you laugh, but, and I know this is kind of trite to say it, it'll make you laugh, but there's parts of it that's really going to make you cry. Mm. What, what the poor guy was going through with paranoia and depression and dizziness and all these things, because they feel that COVID attacked his brain being that it was susceptible and vulnerable because of all the concussions that he suffered during his career. So rather than COVID going after his lungs or another part of his body, they think it went after his brain and it it just really messed him up for a long period of time. He's not a hundred percent recovered, but he's doing much, much better. And, uh, you know, I'm happy about that because he's a great guy. Author, columnist, hall of fame voter, Gary Myers on the Sullivan Super Service Fan Hotline. The 50-minute mark on the fan brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Jeep Dodge, Route 19 in Peters Township.
celebrating 50 years in the South Hills. All right, Gary, people here today, very displeased that Miles Garrett won Defensive Player of the Year. I was looking over the list of voters for the AP Awards, and I see your name on there, and I'm curious who you voted for uh, for Defensive Player of the Year. All right. I promise you, because I'm really an honest person, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to a Pittsburgh audience, but I promise you I voted for T.J. Watt. And, and that's, that's the God's honest truth. I, I thought he deserved it. Um, I think he's the best defensive player in the league. So I voted for him. Um, we know how important he is to the Steelers. And uh, he just had another great season. I know he got banged up at the end of the year. But, um, I, I mean, this, this is a guy that brings it on every play. And, and I voted for him. And, Boy, the, uh, the Cleveland Browns won an awful lot of awards for a team that got blown out in a wild card playoff game, huh? I mean, that's what we were just talking about. I love Jim Schwartz as much as the next guy, but they were last in red zone defense, and they were not even in the top ten in scoring defense, and they basically started giving up twenty, thirty points the second half of the season. Yeah, and then yeah, you have I, Joe Flacco with the comeback player, and I love Joe Flacco too. But the other guy passed away on the field and was revived right. and came back and played DeMar Hamlin. Yeah, yeah. Now, he didn't play a lot, but just the fact that he, if he played one play this past season, he got my vote. Me too. And, and I think that Joe Flacco even said at one point that he didn't deserve the award. He's only, only played five games. And I think I, I saw the breakdown of the voting, Joe. I think that Hamlin got more first-place votes. But Joe got more total points on that. As far as Jim Schwartz, I mean, I think it was relatively clear that maybe the, the two guys that deserved it the most were uh, Mike McDonald in, in, in Baltimore and, and Ben Johnson in Detroit. Yes. I, I'm not, I'm not you know, it, it's not like I looked at the Browns' defense and what. You know, I, I know they went through five quarterbacks, and – and so the defense had to play well. But I never looked at the Browns as, wow, they got a real shutdown defense. Um, so I don't know what all the love for the Browns was. Now, I did vote for Stefanski. Making the playoffs with five different quarterbacks, I think, was pretty unique. Uh, you know, D'Amico Ryans certainly deserved a lot of consideration. But we, my fellow voters voted for the Browns as if they were the number one seed with a 14-3 and record. Uh, I didn't see it that way. Man, me neither. And getting back to TJ, the part that really jumped out to me above anything else was how eight voters didn't have him in the top three. That stunned me. Well, how about the Lamar getting 49 out of 50 and the guy who didn't vote for him voted for Josh Allen? Who, I didn't see that, me, yeah. Yeah, I saw the breakdown. Somebody on, on Twitter um, had the breakdown of all the award voting. And, I mean, if you're not going to vote for Lamar, then maybe you vote for McCaffrey or, you know, you're three-quarters of the season through. Um, uh, Brock Purdy looked like he was making a run at that award or Tyreek Hill, but then he missed a couple of games. Um, I thought it was clear that it was Lamar and he should have won it unanimously like he did a few years ago. 
Um, but to me, I mean, it's nice to win those awards, Joe, you know, but what's Lamar done in the playoffs? And ultimately, I think that's how you judge coaches and quarterbacks. Maybe it's not fair, but Lamar played horribly uh, in their loss to Kansas City. And that's what I remember about Lamar, fair or not. That's what I remember about him for the 2023 season. Not that they were great during the regular season or they they beat all the best teams. I think they beat 10 teams with winning records. But, you know, okay, fine. What what happened in the playoffs? You lost a home game in the AFC Championship to a team that basically up until the week before in Buffalo had struggled all season. I mean, this was is not a typical Chiefs team. And to lose to them at home, you know, that to me taints the entire Ravens season. Couple more minutes with Gary Myers. I'm really here. ingratiating myself to the Steeler fans, right? <laughs> I'll say, well, well, we haven't gotten to the Hall of Fame yet. Everything may end for you there. Um, okay. Back yeah. to the voters first with with the AP awards. Yeah, I had never seen the list of voters. I think I assumed it was more writers or maybe people who were more removed from the game as players. I was surprised, for example, to see Tom Brady and Brewski. Brady just finished playing five minutes ago. Uh, I won't say I'm concerned about biases from recently retired players. Well, maybe mm-hmm. I will. Maybe I do say that and think that. Um, it, it was just a surprise to me the composition here that goes into all the vote. Who, who's voting? How about you? Are you are you satisfied that you have the right representation there among voters? Joe, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I I saw the list and I didn't go through it name by name. So what you just told me about Brady and Brewski, I was not aware of that. Now, I don't really have a problem with Brewski because, you know, he he's he's in, into, you know, he, he does ESPN and he, he's kind of a media member now, although I never really consider former players media members. Um, but at least, he, you know, he's he's into it every week and talking about it on TV. Yeah. Uh, maybe a year from now, Brady should have been on that list of voters, but. I'm not. I'm not sure why he would have gotten the vote. Um, way back at the beginning of my career, I worked for the AP, and it's a, it's a great organization. But I would question that one. And you know, just as I question on our Hall of Fame committee, we we have 50 voters, and we have Tony Dungy and Bill Polian, great guys. Tony Dungy like and who? Bill Polian. Uh huh. Uh, Terrific guys, and I, I probably get into trouble for saying this, but I don't care. Um, when we have their former players who are finalists um, for the modern era, I'm not sure they should be allowed to vote. You know, we've had Dwight Freeney, Reggie Wayne, um, and Freeney got in this year. Reggie Wayne still hasn't. Um, last year, Rondé Barber, who I, I voted for, but Tony coached him, and, and Tony – you know, he was a big proponent for Albert Lewis last year in his 20th and last year of eligibility because he coached some of the Chiefs. Are there I mean, not other fair? coaches on there? I don't I don't know what the composition is. Are there not no, it, other it, former coaches? Basic, yeah, it's basically, no. It's, it's James Lofton and Dan Fouts, and they were added about five years ago. Um, but at the time, you know, Dan was doing games every week, and James is still doing games. I mean, I had a problem with that also. Because when their former teammates come up, I mean, are they totally objective? No, I mean, it's human nature. You're not going to be. So, 
you know, it's hard enough when we're a Hall of Fame voter that I present all the Jets players. And, you know, uh, Ed Bouchette for many years did all the Steelers. Yeah. Um, so they put us in an uncomfortable position because we're advocating, advocating for guys that we covered. And we covered them objective, objectively, but now when we stand up in the meeting and I'm giving the credentials of Darrell Rivas or Kevin Mawai or Curtis Martin, you almost become their campaign manager. And that's not an easy thing, you know, especially for me who always just write what I saw. You know, I didn't let any personal relationships get in the way of that. So, but still, as you're preparing your presentation, you're talking to the player you're going to present, you know, you grow an affinity for them. It's impossible not to. So you can only imagine how it is for Dungey and Polian and Fouts and, and James Lofton, who either played or coached or was a general manager for some of these candidates that are coming up. And again, I'm probably really digging a hole for myself here with the whole thing. No, I, I never really said this publicly. Yeah. But um, I, I, there's something, there's something that doesn't feel right to me about it, but and that's not questioning the, the character of Dungey or Polian because, I mean, if you had any dealings with them, they're, they're both terrific people. But how can Tony Dungey not vote for Reggie Wayne? And is it fair to say Tory Holt and Andre Johnson, and Andre Johnson got in this year, is it fair to them that Reggie Wayne's coach ha- had a vote? I'm inclined to agree with you there, honestly. Yeah. I, I really am. I've talked to the Hall of Fame about it, and again, I've never said this publicly, but I've, I've talked to them behind the scenes about it, and I'm not questioning these guys' integrity. I'm just saying it's human nature. No, I hear you. And, and this was a question I was wondered with Ed, too, here is, mm-hmm. what if you're asked to represent the case of a, of a local player that you don't believe should be in the Hall of Fame? Are you then asked like a lawyer just to make the best case anyway? Mm. Joe, that, that's a, a fantastic question. And um, the only way I can really answer that is if you make it to the final 15, you, you probably eventually will get into the Hall of Fame. Most of the final 15 <clears throat> get in. Some take longer than others. And nobody makes the final 15 and you sit, look at them and say, boy, they had a lousy career and they don't deserve to be a finalist. Um, they might not 